Star Trek Picard has not yet begun. And we as well are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. My name is Jessica Lease, and I put it out into the universe years ago that I wanted a new Picard spinoff series. And CBS All Access took it upon themselves to say, make it so. And so we are here today pouring up a nice cup of tea, Earl Grey hot. I'm here with my number one, Mike Bloom. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Jess. I've been trying to grow this beard. Uh, unfortunately, you might not have chosen the best uh, number one when it comes to growing facial hair, or in this case, uh, a dog. I think I'm more so suited for the dog aspect of things than the <laughs> William Riker thing, but I can straddle a chair, if that helps. Well, that was the next question. I was going to say, how is your trombone playing, and how are you <laughs> at sitting backwards in a chair? I could definitely do that. You know, I am a, a reformed man whore, and I feel like uh, Riker certainly knows his way or two, uh, even though he is happily married now. So I guess him and I have a very similar path. Wow. Didn't think we started off our Picard coverage by realizing how similar of a path William Riker and myself have had. I do not have an evil cloned brother, though, that took my middle name. So from that, we differ. That you know of. That I know of, exactly. If there's a William walking around uh, at any point that looks a lot like me, people, be on the lookout, because it might not be me. What if you're the evil clone? Because your middle name is William, so maybe maybe William's the good one, and you're the evil clone. That honestly makes a lot of sense, looking back in retrospect. Well, uh, I guess, unfortunately, you're stuck with the evil me, though I would be intrigued to see what the good me would think about. I don't think full bloom would be a thing for William Bloom, the good twin. Probably not. Uh, I, I'm guessing like that's kind of what tipped me off to the fact that you're probably not the good twin. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe from that perspective, since, you know, I would say Commander William Riker is also a little lewd sometimes. Maybe he's the evil twin as well. And Thomas Riker was the good guy. No, we've, we've seen Thomas Riker in action. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say that's, that's true. He did. He did hijack that runabout in DS9 for the Maquis. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, he's. Everybody is shades of gray. It's it's the moral ambiguity, the delicious moral ambiguity that keeps us coming back to Star Trek. And so we are here today to start talking about this is our preliminary pre-launch episode where we're going to talk about everything we know about the Picard series to date and talk a little bit about Picard the character and provide even a little primer as far as if you want to go back in and kind of reacquaint yourself with the character we can give you a few episodes to pick from. And of course, if you have CBS All Access, you have access to the full Star Trek universe, at least as far as the small screen is concerned. And I'm really loving the chance to get back in here and revisit some of this show that I haven't watched. It's probably been 10 years since my last TNG rewatch. So it's nice to have it fresh in my mind. Yeah, so just to clarify a bit. So yeah, I mean, this will be the first of a few pre-Picard podcasts we're doing. I would say people are looking for speculation as to, you know, who are these new characters we're seeing? What do the trailers show? I think it's safe to say we'll probably touch upon it, but I think it, uh, we'd, it'd be better to be covered in its own separate podcast that we'll be doing in a couple of weeks. This is more so a podcast for like, hey, uh, do you know who John Luke Picard is? Do you remember when Romulus was destroyed? Who the hell? Seven of nine. Uh, this is sort of like a canon catch up to get people either reacquainted or caught up for the first time with what exactly these characters are bringing that we know of before, you know, we move forward with characters old and new. 
new. I guess to start, I mean, before we even get into anything with uh, what we know of Jean-Luc Picard and the characters around him, Jesse talked about manifesting this. So what were your thoughts when you initially found out? Because there were obviously rumblings about it. Patrick Stewart announced, I think, in Vegas a couple of years ago that it was a thing. We got trailers over the course of 2019. So what did you think about this actually becoming a reality? Well, this is like every fan's dream. I think there's nobody out there that puts Picard at the bottom of their captain rankings. Uh, he is the most, he's the most fun, I think, of the, the most layered of the captains. The, mm -hmm. I think he's definitely the captain where there's the most territory left to explore. And I think the the place we left him was so tantalizing, like whichever plane you want to say we really left him on, whether it's the future echoes that we saw in the final episode of Star Trek Next Generation or whether it's where we left off in the last movie back in 2002. And Mike, I know you were in like kindergarten or something, so you may not remember <laughs> hey, that. I I was in seventh grade. Thank you very much. No, definitely not in the mood to sit down for any two hour long Star Trek movies at that point. But, you know, uh, not not a, not a little bit of a baby in the Bork incubator, a little bit more of an adolescent. All right. All right. Uh, fair enough. You You knew that Star Trek existed and was a thing. Mm hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And I would say that uh, at that point, that was also what that was uh, when we were sort of nearing the end or I think we were already a couple of years removed from the DS9 Voyager double feature creature feature. Uh, so I, it definitely was like Star Trek was in the atmosphere. But considering that I was born, I think, in, during season three of Next Generation, I can't say that Picard, even from a Star Trek perspective, was top of mind for my 12 year old brain. It's true. And I, I think 12 is probably also the wrong age to start formulating your final Star Trek opinions, even if you do grow up with it. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Unless like maybe if, if you place my memory in a satellite uh, that allows it to live out for the next 35 years, I can really formulate my thoughts on him. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I love I love it when we when they play fast and loose with the human consciousness, um, as we'll talk about when we start breaking down some of our favorite Picard episodes. I think that will become apparent. Yeah, I mean, this, I, I still can't believe we're talking about this. Like, this is crazy, because not only, you know, is this a Star Trek nerd's dream come true, but also, at least from what I had heard, for a while, Patrick Stewart, it got to the point where, like, he was, didn't even want to acknowledge Picard. Like, there was a rumor, I think, in Hollywood that, like, hey, if you're working with Patrick Stewart on a project, don't mention Jean-Luc Picard of the next generation, because he won't be happy with it. I think for a while, he felt like, actually, a bit contrary to your point, he felt like his character's journey had come to an end. He felt that book was closed, but I guess he's been giving some interviews, obviously, in the past year, and he said that getting to experience how much the next generation specifically meant to a whole for lack of a better term, generation of people, I think touched him in a way that made him genuinely want to revisit the character, which makes me happy. And from what I've seen in terms of, you know, uh, all the preseason press he's been doing, he seems to just be having the time of his life, which makes me very happy. It's not necessarily, you know, dragging Harrison Ford onto the set of The Force Awakens and, you know, making him go through the motions again. This is someone who is genuinely invested in going back to the character. Well, we are living in an era of peak nostalgia. I feel like everything is a reboot of everything nowadays. Hmm. Yeah, but I, I think I think you're right about Patrick Stewart kind of wanting to distance himself from Picard for a very long time. And I think even at the point when he began playing Picard, I think the 
character played by Alan Rickman in Galaxy Quest, we all agree that is kind of making fun of Patrick Stewart to some degree. Yeah, yeah. Even though he's supposed to be, I think, the science officer, so he's more of like the Spock archetype. I think the fact that this is this like, like you said, this this thes- master thespian who's been, uh, you know, beleaguered to have to give off all of these over the top lines and also sciency terms that don't make a lot of sense in repetition. Uh, that sort of has just been the what we all imagine maybe Patrick Stewart was thinking through. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very clear what sort of his perspective is. And that also reflected in the character as well. I, I know we'll get a bit into it, but uh, obviously, Picard is a huge departure from a captain like Kirk, who we had experienced from the original series. And I think that's very, very much due to just the different natures of uh, William Shatner and Patrick Stewart in terms of the way they just sort of compose themselves. And I think it's also it's a difference between how seriously the show took itself, because Mm. I think Star Trek, the original series, probably didn't necessarily take itself super seriously as it was being formulated. And it's a very imaginative show to be sure. But I think there's, there's always like a little bit of self-awareness. And then I remember I was very young when Star Trek, the next generation premiered. And I remember being struck by, you know, little eight year old me watching this show thinking this takes itself much more seriously. And it's kind of, it's a double-edged sword because I think Next Generation was able to explore some themes that original series Star Trek attempted to go to and certainly was groundbreaking for its time. But there's a lot more gravitas, especially the early season episodes where they're really trying to feel out exactly how serious they can be. And they kind of swing in the wrong direction a few times. And I think you get you get this starship led by this very serious captain at times like i think picard strikes me as someone who's he's much more even tempered and he takes his position like he's having a a lot less fun in the very beginning at least yeah it's sort of like this is a very uh loose sketch but he's sort of the bert to kirk's ernie Right. Where <laughs> he definitely seems to be a bit more like fun and fancy free. Sure, I'll go sleep with some Orion women. And look, we'll definitely get into some adventures that Picard had both romantically and otherwise. But I totally agree with you. He walked in like very by the books. You know, he's very good. Uh, there's a reason why he has a maneuver named after him when he had pr- with the uh, previous starship that he had worked for. But he seems someone who, like you said, was a very sobering presence. And I think that really not only set the tone for the ship but also for the show itself now granted there are some silly things hell the second episode not counting yeah the naked now of the next generation is basically everyone's horny for each other so (laughs) they still had moments where they were goofy at times but i think especially around like you're saying even like the first episode uh picard has to debate humanity when he's put on trial by q and that's like a, a ridiculous way to start off a star trek premise but it makes a lot of sense when you look at sort of what the overall tone that they're trying to take is uh okay we're going to get into much headier concepts and it's going to be through the head mostly of captain john luke picard can you can you imagine kirk having to stand on trial for humanity no no he would be the worst representative i think like humanity would have rolled a very very bad dice to end up with i think literally any of the other captains hell give me give me mirror Lorca from star trek discovery <laughs> he might have done a better job give me pike in the chair with the beeps and boops that might have done a better job than james tiberius kirk it's it's true what other 
one other Kirk versus Picard thought that I had, especially while I was kind of rewatching some of the Picard, the character episodes of the series recently, is Picard is also an interesting captain because he literally could have been anything. I think he yeah. could have done anything he wanted with his life where somebody like Kirk, that's he's either going to be in jail or captaining a starship. <laughs> Yeah, I completely agree. And we'll definitely get into that. You know, when I was coming up with my list of episodes to watch, there are so many. He's almost like an action figure where sometimes we get Picard, the uh, the, uh, archaeologist. Sometimes we have Picard, the lawyer. Sometimes we have Picard, the captain. Sometimes we have Picard, the like rough and tumble action movie star. And yeah, they really want to make him a jack of all trades. It does seem like Picard is the leader who will often, you know, uh, basically say like i'm gonna get down in the trenches with you so that you know how good of a leader i am i know that early on they forbade the captain from going any on any away missions uh that did not stop the show from very quickly sending him down there because i feel like that's just who picard is he has many many interests like he's loosely quoting shakespeare he's reading poetry he's able to compose sonnets to loxana troy like this is a a man of so much depth which i think going back to your original point makes it a character that's really worth revisiting especially when we ask what is this guy doing now once he sort of has left starfleet behind for better or for worse it's true. And I think we can talk a little bit about what has happened in those intervening years, as at least as far as we know it, because it seems like there are a lot of defining events in Picard's life, um, some of which we witnessed as we watched the series and some of which we can only speculate on because we haven't been filled in on that. And I'm sure the show is going to do a little bit of backtracking to get us to that point. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, the Picard timeline, and I believe, just to sort of set where Picard takes place in comparison to the events that we've seen so far. So I believe this show takes place in 2399, the cusp of the 25th century. This is 20 years after the events of Star Trek Nemesis, which was 2379, and uh, the destruction of Romulus, which I'm sure we will get into because uh, it's a very interesting sort of merging of two different canons, took place in 2387. So uh, it's a couple decades removed from Nemesis, which in itself was a, a little while removed from the events of the next generation. Well, yeah, we had we had the kind of bleed into the um, Deep Space Nine and Voyager eras, which are slightly after next gen. Mm hmm. Yeah, and, it's true. Yeah. So it's kind of like, what is the last thing that we officially know happened in the Star Trek canon? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then when you bring in alternate universes and, you know, now that we're merging in all these new shows as well, they're trying to fit in. It's just a, a continuously bulging timeline. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's almost like the time is a flat circle. <laughs> exactly. All right. So so, Mike, why don't we go ahead and start talking about. Uh, I think you and I kind of did a little deep dive into the series and collected some episodes that we rewatched and we revisited to kind of get a little bit of sense of uh, Picard the man as we're going into this series. And so I thought that might be a good place to start. We can kind of revisit. I have them sort of loosely grouped in. We have Picard the captain and we have Picard the man. And when we have the background information, we can talk about his biography, like who is this man? And also, I don't know who this would possibly describe but there may be someone out there who is not necessarily super familiar with the next generation universe and is just jumping in on all of the new star trek content so it's like 
maybe we should just backtrack all the way and say, okay, who is Jean-Luc Picard? And Mm -hmm. why is he important? And why is there a show about him? And what do you absolutely need to know about him before you embark on a new series that's centered around him? Yeah, and I think that's another reason why we wanted to release this one first as well, is because I guess this is a, a manner of giving homework, I suppose, if people who want to revisit this character or visit this character for the first time want to check out these episodes. Like Jess said, they're handily available on CBS All Access, uh, which is where Star Trek Picard itself will debut on the 23rd. Uh, it's also, I believe, on Netflix and I think Amazon Prime as well. I'm not entirely sure where they're housed outside of the United States, but there's many, many platforms. Uh, so maybe we should like trade off episodes then, Jess. Uh, so I guess we'll, we'll throw it to you first. Do you want to start with Captain Picard, the man, uh, the myth, the legend? Uh, yeah, we could talk about, um, well, I think I, I have, I have a lot of character ones, but I think I want to talk about, I think I, I want to talk about Picard in terms of um, how he is as a leader, which I think is mm. interesting um, that we learn about. There's an episode called Tapestry, uh, yes. which is let me let me look up the season so that people can just write this all down. Yeah. And this is also I would say if you're going in like chronological order of Jean-Luc Picard's life, this is a very good place to start because this is basically Star Trek doing this is your life or it's a wonderful life. Yeah. Or it even reminds me a little bit of um Speaking of things with life in the title, uh, defending your life. Mm, yes, um, yes. The Albert Brooks movie, which is um, in which a man dies and is kind of put on trial for all the things that he did. And so in this episode, um, Picard is sort of he's visited by Q and we could spend a whole hour talking about the Picard Q dynamic. Um, the Q are sort you, of. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about obviously maybe some other characters from the next gen universe that are appearing. Are you surprised? No announcement of Q as of yet. Do you think there's going to be a continuum appearance in Picard given his relationship with him? I mean, you would you would think so. Although I think there's a couple of characters in the Star Trek universe, like not to go off on a big tangent, but there's a couple of characters in the Star Trek universe I think are hard to bring back in twenty years later because mm. they are allegedly not human and not aging by human standards, even though the human actors playing them are obviously aging. So it's interesting. I'm sure John Delancey would be more than happy to revisit this role and to come back to the show. And he's done a lot of really great things in the meantime. But he also he definitely doesn't look like the same Q that he was back in the early 90s. So doesn't doesn't stop other characters. (laughs) Well, I'm, I'm saying you know, we got we got Data, who's probably got some like giant fanwaky explanation for you know he has programmed himself to age naturally, kind of like what they did with the Terminators. Yeah, exactly. Like that's the thing to explain away. But yeah, so let's not get uh, I guess too much under the continuum wormhole. Talk talk to us about Tapestry. I uh, will talk about um, Tapestry, where the premise of the episode is that Picard has died. And is in the afterlife with Q. And Q is going to be talking about all the various um, key moments in Picard's past. And so you visit, you get to see a young, you get to see a very young Picard and talking about some moments where he has, he has had some like moral quandaries. Mm. uh, And also has been stabbed. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, that's the, the biggest moral quandary is being stabbed. And yeah, I mean, not to get too much into spoiler territory, but he ends up uh, making another pivotal decision in his life, and he sort of sees how his life spins off from that. The Next Generation in particular was really big into alternate universes and multiple timelines. There's an entire Worf-based episode near the end of the series that's entirely about that. But yeah, this is a good way to sort of look at like the, the seminal moment in John Luke Picard's life and how that fundamentally made him as a person. Yeah, it's it's how Captain Picard happens, because I think the premise is he's not going to become a captain if he goes the other direction. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'll jump to one that is not necessarily showing how he leads others, but really how, uh, you know, he takes pride in his ship and what he does, including protecting the ship from anything including Marauders. This is an episode called Starship Mine, which is season six, episode 18. Ah, and die it's hard a, on the Enterprise. Exactly. It's essentially die hard or home alone uh, in Star Trek. Basically, this uh, the Enterprise has docked at a station for a, basically a big meet and greet. Uh, Picard, I think, just gets locked, on, locked in uh, while the ship's sort of getting a maintenance inspection and realizes that there is a plot for people who snuck aboard to try to steal some trilithium and essentially, to quote Kevin McAllister, Picard says, this is my ship and I have to defend it. So you essentially see him single-handedly fight off everybody as they try to, you know, take over his ship. Yeah, it, it's a lot of fun. And it's almost like giving everybody else the week off. Yeah, essentially, because they all get taken hostage and like they get they all like respectively get knocked out at certain points. So, yeah, this is we're going to talk about many, many big episodes for Patrick Stewart. But this is a one where he gets to be this sort of like rough and tumble action guy where I would say most of the series, he doesn't necessarily have that opportunity. He's more so one to sort of pontificate and give his reasoning instead of his fists. But here he's able to use them to full effect. Yeah, that is it's it's a very it's very actiony. I think it's a side of Picard that I don't think they necessarily explored up until this point. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. So I I think we should also talk about um. There are moments where Picard has really like you see him transform. You see things affect him in real time. And I think there's one big one that we're going to talk about. I think we mm. want to save that for a little bit later. But I want to talk about the episode Chain of Command. Yes. Um, which, How many lights, Jess? How many lights? There are four lights, Mike. There I, I are know. four lights. Listen, I got I got a Cardassian guy who's been giving me a different type of line. I'm not sure who to believe at this point. There are always four lights. You can't break me that easily. <laughs> That's true. Not even if I give you a nice crudite platter to feast upon. <laughs> I think you're going to have to do better than that. Like, what are you, Jeff Probst, trying to get me to hop down from the platform? Yeah, exactly. Oh, I got a nice thing of squid or a little. What, what, did, what does he give him? Like, uh, like raw eggs, right? That he has to bite into. Yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty gross. Um, and it's really it's interesting. Uh, because I was really a I was deep into Deep Space Nine. Um, it was that's always been my favorite series. And you almost the Cardassians are almost worse in this episode than they ever were on Deep Space Nine. And it's the, it's really upsetting uh, to watch this kind of torture play out in real time. And very, I think you see a different side of Picard after he comes through this on the other side. 
Yeah, it's. I mean, so he essentially is like on a, a rescue mission that has sort of been fabricated, where he got kidnapped by the Cardassians and is essentially tortured for Federation information. But he is not broken, leading to this big scene, this infamous line. There are four lights that we mentioned beforehand, uh, and yeah, I mean, this is. Very different Picard. He's someone who has always composed himself to the fullest ability. Usually, even when he's like trapped in a cave with Wes- with Wesley Crusher, he still seems to like you know clean up pretty well. But here, he is so bedraggled. He is starving. He is thirsty. He has been physically and mentally tortured. Uh, but you see, the spirit of his will still remains strong, which is is really really awesome. It's like Picard the badass. Like sometimes you you see him being very cool, and this is just like like the steely core underneath it. And I think some of this is a result of everything he's been through up to this point. This is a very late season episode. This is a season six. This is the middle of season six at this point. Um, But you do see him like the after effects of this particular episode, I think like set him up quite nicely for his arc in the movies. Yeah, absolutely. Because, uh, you know, I think his biggest arc is probably connected to the Borg, which we'll get into. But this is, uh, a side of him we we were not used to, and that ties into an episode that I want to point out as well, which, you know, like you said, uh, I think especially for the first couple seasons when TNG was sort of starting to figure itself out, Picard was, I wouldn't say two-dimensional, but I think he was very much serving as like that sobering dean of the college who, no matter what, you know, shenanigans were going on, he was always coming in to save the day. I want to talk about an episode just called Captain's Holiday, which is season three, <laughs> episode 19. Picard goes to oh, Risa. Oh, God, that shirt. That shirt. I know. Uh, it's Vacation Picard, an open shirt and all. But it's, so, it's such an interesting episode in that we see an entirely new side of him. So essentially, the crew mandates he takes a break. He gets sent to the infamous vacation planet, Risa. He's one of the only people to actually ever make it to Risa, who plans to go to Risa. But he ends up, despite trying to escape work, he ends up getting caught up in this, like, James Bond meets Indiana Jones-esque mission. And it's notable for a number of reasons. First, it's definitely a more comical Picard. He definitely comes across initially as like the beleaguered guy who just wants to rest and then all these shenanigans are going on around him with these Ferengi and looking for a treasure. But it's also very interesting in that it introduces the first, and I would argue one of the main uh, love interests for Picard, at least across the series, uh, a young woman by the name of Vash, who is sort of like her own like archaeological uh, like marauder, I suppose. She sort of travels the galaxy plundering treasures. And- she is 100% space Indiana Jones as a hot girl. Yes. That's Vash. Absolutely. And but it's it starts sort of like a connection between the two. And I can't really recall, you know, except for a couple of maybe will, you know, the skirted glances between him and Beverly Crusher and there would be many to come. But I didn't really remember in the canon when we had really seen that Picard show his heart in a manner of speaking before. So while it is sort of like a, a silly lark, as many episodes with the Ferengi are, I think it's a very interesting episode to show different sides of the Picard that we're used to when he's aboard the Enterprise and you know has everything in gear it's true and it's interesting to see him play off of somebody who's so different from he is from what who he is because he's he's so serious he's got such gravitas and she is a lot lighter i think and a lot you know she plays fast and loose with morality and the legal system and that he would be attracted to someone like that i think is very telling about what kind of person he really is 
Yeah, and I think that that's the reason why. You know, again, Picard has had a number of other interests. Look at the episode Perfect Mate, for instance. But, you know, they are not as staying as Vash is. You know, she'll come back for the infamous episode Cupid which I would say <laughs> is not on any list that we're prescribing right now. And then she comes no. back later on in the series uh, when it turns out, speaking of Q, that, you know, she ends up going with him around the universe. But that's a big moment from Picard as well. It's it's one of the most lasting, continuous relationships for him. And like you said, you can tell a lot about a person by the partner they pick. It's true. And also, I want to know why there's so much wicker on the Pleasure Planet Ryza. <laughs> There's a lot of weird things. There's what the, the Horgon, I think is what it's called, which is like, uh, like a very suspect cylindrical device. Uh, like R- Risa, I feel like it's, if you turn on a black light in Risa, you would not oh want to go back to Risa. God, no. Well, I, you, you have to imagine that cleaning technology, like they have like a team of forensic cleaners on Risa that have technology we can only dream about. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, I, I, you would hope so, because otherwise people just make... Maybe it's a blessing in disguise that people like Jordy and Riker would never make it to Risa, because if they're not cleaning things very, very deeply, then they're stewing in so much from previous visitors that it makes the experience unpleasant. Wicker is so porous. It just seems impractical. Yeah, I would agree as well. Uh, it just, it's, it's not, uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe their decor is not really what they're invested in. Maybe they're more invested in just an opportunity to get away. And because the universe is so expansive, they're like, Hey, you know what? We don't need to fix ourselves up too much. You know, like, where are you going to go to another quadrant? No, you're, you're here, you know, except our wicker chairs and our horgons. This is like, like the far end of downtown Las Vegas. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I think for the next one, uh, while we're still talking about like Picard, the captain, I want to go to an episode um, from from season five, episode 14 conundrum in Mm. which everyone gets amnesia and they still the particular scene where they kind of suss out that Picard is the captain. And it's very interesting to watch everybody come together uh, to figure out who they are with no information about who they are and what they're like. And who are these people at their core when every piece of information about themselves is stripped away from them? I think that's a really interesting, especially since they assume because Worf has the fancier outfit at first, he must be the captain. And then there's kind of the awkward transfer of power. And they're like, no, 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 I think it's the bald guy. Yeah, and, you know, there are, again, shenanigans ensue. Uh, Data happens to be behind the bar at 10 forward, so they think that he's the bartender. Uh, there's a lot of salacious activity between Riker and Ensign Rowe, uh, and who hate each other initially. But, yeah, I mean, it's also sort of shades of tapestry, right? Of, like, this is kind of the meeker Picard that we see in that alternate timeline, and here we see it again. Uh, and to see not only the crew piece themselves together, but Picard built himself back up to that position of power, uh, sort of starting from the get-go, is a really interesting discovery for that particular character to make. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, I think, as a as kind of a way of really deeply getting to know the characters. If you're not uh, going to watch every episode, I'd say go to that one. Yeah, I want to, I know that's, that's later, that's, you know, I think season five or so. I actually want to go back to season one, which, look... Definitely not the strongest season of, of Star Trek Next Generation. But I want to go to an important episode, not only for Picard, but Picard's relationship with Starfleet. Because it does seem from the teasers that we've seen of, of Star Trek Picard so far that he has a very strange relationship for, with Starfleet. It may have started here. 
Let's go to the infamous episode, season one, episode 25, Conspiracy, uh, which was sort of like, uh, it had been teased out throughout season one, right? Picard had gotten some like drop-ins from members of Starfleet, sort of observing his activities, calling him unorthodox. And it turns out that Picard and Riker sort of find out this vast conspiracy where uh, an alien species have essentially uh, mind-controlled the hires up at Starfleet and are planning to take over the Federation and therefore the universe, features some fun head explosion scanner style if you're into that but gross I, I i think that was sort of like the beginning uh you know obviously that's going to manifest later with admiral necheyev who's always going to kind of be a thorn in picard's side but i would say if you want to start where picard has a distrust with starfleet that ultimately will manifest itself in star trek picard as well conspiracy is a good place to start yeah and this this goes into um like picard is not someone who's Totally by the book. Like, I think he understands the importance of rules and why we have rules. But when he sees a point where doing the right thing means violating the prime directive, he violates the prime directive all the time. Like, I think he might actually have the number, the highest number of prime directive violations. And I think some of it stems from him knowing that just because the person in charge is in charge, that doesn't mean they have all the answers for every scenario. And he's not afraid to think independently. Right. I mean, it's get to a point where uh, the episode, The Drumhead, where he is put on trial at some point and basically told that, right? Like, you've broken the prime directive several times. And Picard basically says, you know, it's a directive, but it's not a mandate where you can use it to your benefit. But sometimes when you're out in the field, you're going to need to do things uh, that don't necessarily fit to the rules. Granted, it turns out here that they were sort of keeping the, him under their thumb to prevent this conspiracy leaking out, much like the brains of that poor guy who gets his head blown open. Gross. Yeah. Um, the memory alpha page for this episode just has a picture of like the post explosion guy. <laughs> oh, my God. Because that's the only thing that everyone remembers for this episode, right? Besides the, the brain slugs. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty gross. Um, I mean, Star Trek is, is no stranger to brain slugs. I think no. anyone who's seen Wrath of Khan is like, oh, brain slugs, whatever. We've seen those before. But then to get to the point where like heads are exploding, that's like a new level of gore that I think we were not ready for. Yeah, exactly. Like, we don't see, you know, uh, the earwigs that we did in Wrath of Khan, but we do see, I think they me- they represent themselves in, like, little nubbins on the back of the neck, I believe. But then it comes out very graphically. I, even, I think even before then, there was a point where, like, the guy's stomach opens and you see, like, the mother parasite. Oh, in God. It. Yeah, that picture is here, too. Yeah, it's very, it's very Cronenberg-esque, but not, it's not a huge part of the episode, but that's also, again, going back to like the action Picard we see in episodes like Starship Mine, this is where the first time we saw him really sort of step down from his post and really get rough and tumble, and that was in the first season. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, like all these seeds that are planted that early on, like I, if I'm going back and rewatching, I gotta be honest, I'm just gonna skip the entire first season, but maybe that's to my detriment when there's episodes like this. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally st- still think Skin of Evil at least holds up from like a, an imp- like the first big impactful moment of it, though I think that a big sloppy pile of black goo does not reflect terribly well uh, nowadays. God, the, the effects in this are not... Not great. Except, except for the head exploding. Actually, the head exploding, I, you know, and as someone who recently rewatched uh, TNG for an article I did for The Hollywood Reporter, the head explosion surprisingly holds up by 2019 standards. Or 2020 standards. I need to change the date now. We're getting closer and closer to uh, an inevitable star date, Jess. Yeah, as as the at the 
at the day at the time which we're recording this, it is New Year's Day 2020. So we got to stop writing 2019 on all of our checks that we don't write anymore. Exactly. Uh, what we're only four years away from that one, not to go to DS9, but that two part DS9 where they went back to like the dystopian 2024. Oh, yeah. right? The bell riots are coming up. We got that to look forward to. Yeah, with all the slums and the unemployed people getting uh, put into little ghettos. I gotta be honest, I don't rewatch that episode anymore, even though it's a tremendously good episode. It's just a little too close to home. It's also so preachy. It's extremely... Yeah. Star Trek does a great job of really filtering like the problems of today or the issues of today through the lens of tomorrow. But both those episodes end with, you know, uh, Cisco and Bashir sort of looking at the camera being like, how could this happen to us? I just don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I, actually, I'm, I'm in the I'm in the middle of like rewatching DS9. It's sort of like watching it for the first time. And I just watched those episodes a couple of weeks ago, so it's like fresh in my memory. Them sort of replicating the Native American crying a single tear in the you know the in the garbage field of like, my God, how have we let it come to this? Yeah, I've, and especially they they tend to, and I think in all across all of the series, they tend to sort of pick a social issue and are like. But how could humans possibly have ever been that terrible? And they're like, well, humans were terrible once upon a time. We weren't always this socialist utopia. And it's like, OK, I fundamentally agree with you, Star Trek, most of the time. But you don't have to dunk on us quite so hard all the time. <laughs> yeah. And actually, that's uh, another season one episode, right, where they do the really over the top drug PSA where Wesley <laughs> talks to Tasha Yar about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, Wesley got caught up in some bad stuff more than once. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, the, I wonder, the, if, he'll, I wonder that, if he'll make an appearance. He, well, <laughs> I, I hope so. I mean, what else is Will Wheaton doing these days? Yeah, I don't He's know. Blogging. But do you think Picard will pick him up on his planet of Native Americans and he'll uh, be able to commune with him using his special traveler powers? Yeah, he's he's off like on some other plane of existence. So I, I don't know how often you get to visit when you've evolved into another creature, but... You know, here's hoping. I mean, um, he got he was at uh, Troy and and uh, Riker's wedding. I just watched it on Nemesis. He had zero lines, but he was up at the head table for some reason. Well, of course he was. You know, he was he was on the ship for several years, and, and you know, everybody's still really good friends with Beverly, and I'm sure like she makes sure everybody stays in touch with him. That's true. Yeah, he's like her perennial plus one. Yeah, yeah. Like what what's she doing these days? Uh, yeah, that's another that's another interesting question mark that I'm sure will get brought up because, uh, yeah, I mean, well, I, I'm Did sure we'll they talk about ever get together. Did they ever really make it work? That's what I want to well, know. And that's one thing like I I obviously the media media has cultivated a lot of these lists of Picard episodes as we're sort of going through this. I know a lot of people recommend all good things dot 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 the series finale of Next Generation, but I actually wouldn't purposely because like nothing that happened in that episode is going to happen in Picard. It seems like, yes, he's still working on the vineyard, but they purposely say at the end of the episode, Hey, everything that happened in the future, uh, was in an alternate timeline. So it's not going to happen now. So I know in that timeline, Picard and Beverly got together and they were divorced. Maybe the same thing's going to happen here. Maybe it's not, but I would advise people maybe to confuse you less. Maybe all good things is not a, a great thing to watch right before diving into Picard. Yeah, that that is fair. Um, and it really, I, I think they're probably not going to be paying close attention to that episode when they're making whatever this is. Although yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. It seems like 
Picard as a concept is already so fan servicey. You have to you have to think they're going to at least try to address it. Yeah, you would think so. Like, I would not be surprised if they did like a Bo Peep in Toy Story three thing of like, <laughs> oh, we lost Beverly. Uh, you know, it's too bad she died a few years after the destruction of Romulus or something. Or, or maybe she'll make a random appearance and Picard will sort of get sidetracked uh, for a couple of episodes. But yeah, it is you know in a very uh, Riker Troy data centric teasers that we've been given. Not a whiff of Beverly, which is really interesting to me. Well, where is where is Gates McFadden anyway? That's a good. I don't know. I feel like she's still showing up to events. So like, I feel like she's in a good place with the fandom. I'm sure people would like her back if they wanted. Sh- I mean, yeah, she looks I- fantastic. She does. She does. Like she, I, and I think her character can naturally age. Uh, I mean, I, I think that at some point, I forget if this is actual, uh, like actual factual or conjecture, but I believe somebody said at some point, like, oh yeah, the entire next generation cast will be appearing at some point in time during Picard because yeah, no Beverly, no Jordy, which is very interesting given Hugh's role in all this, no Worf who's been, like, probably the most tenured member of this Next Generation cast uh, in Star Trek, considering that he's been a part of two of their series. Yeah, although Michael Jordan just might be like, yeah, I I don't really feel like putting the prosthetic on again. But that's the thing is, uh, I guess the other thing is that, uh, and we've gotten super off track at this point, but the the, I guess I was thinking about it, like, where are the chances of Warfare appearing? But now I wonder, with how different the Klingons in, like, the the 2010 Star Trek, or now 2020 Star Trek look with Discovery, do you think they're going to bring Worf back and sort of make those comparisons of, like, yeah, Worf exists here, too, but he looks very, very different from, you know, your Vogue and Laurel's? Well, it's interesting because I, I think you could also, if you really want to get deep down the rabbit hole of fan wanking away how Klingons look, you could just say that was Discovery era Klingons and you have TOS era Klingons that just look kind of swarthy. <laughs> and then you have the TNG DS9 Klingons that are brown and bumpy and mm-hmm. sometimes you might be bald and gray and bumpy. I, maybe uh, like all of these looks exist on you know, in different generations. Mm. Like maybe he always has to look that way. Or it could be just, you know, the way that I, I think we've had this conversation around discovery about, it's like, well, these Klingons look so different. They look so much better than other Klingons. And you just go, go at it. Like they are staging a Shakespeare play and there are this character type. And you can just kind of go with, this is the director's vision for how these characters look and get immersed in it and not feel like everybody has to look a certain way all the time. Right, that feels like a Star Trek lesson in its own. Not everyone needs to look the same. Yeah, I, I think that, I think there probably was a Star Trek about that at some point. Several. I mean, that's the entire concept of the Borg, right? Yes, yes. Um, but let's not talk about the Borg yet because I think mm. I want to talk a little bit about some of the some of the Picard the character episodes, um, which I think kind of lay the groundwork for what we might be seeing out of someone who's been out of Starfleet for a while. And I think we cannot talk about Star Trek The Next Generation at any point about any character in any scenario without talking about Darmok. Mm-hmm. With, with our arms open. Indeed. Um, his eyes uncovered. 
Yes, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a uh, it's an episode that launched an entirely new idiom based language. But I mean, this was uh, it's basically Picard and a another alien stranded on a planet and trying to figure out a way to communicate with each other. And I think it really when you know that Picard spent so much time as a diplomat, I think this lays the groundwork for Picard, the diplomat, really nicely, because he could have gone down to the planet and just like incinerated the guy and that would have been the end of it. But he really works hard to unlock what is trying to be communicated to him. And it takes them the entire episode and it's very sad at the end, but he gets it and yeah. they figure it out. They reach their common ground and this is going to serve him well later on. Um, and I certainly, I think we're going to see a lot of that knowing where Knowing what Picard's objectives are in the new series, I think he's going to have to come back to those skills that he learned in that episode. Yeah, speaking of skills that he has garnered, I want to talk a bit about Lawyer Picard, because I feel that while this isn't necessarily Captain-esque, as a person, he is someone who stands his ground. And I want to go to an infamous episode. Honestly, what might be my favorite episode, if you know, I had a phaser to my head of Next Generation, the infamous Measure of a Man, Season 2, oh. Episode 9, uh, is Data a Person trial, where essentially uh, Data is on trial where a Starfleet officer wants to decommission him and take him apart so he can construct Data's to put on every starship, and Picard is tasked with defending his rights and I love it just because again it's it really deeps into these big philosophical questions about what makes us human and this is one of Patrick Stewart's like big first performances as Jean-Luc Picard where he's pulling his best Atticus Finch or Clarence Darrow taking the stand and you know talking about an army of datas as it were we honestly might have an army of datas based on footage uh, from Picard but we can certainly talk about that at a later date but yeah I mean especially looking at the relationship between Picard and Data we know that Brent Spiner is going to be back in some fashion for Picard, and this is sort of a, a good microcosm of the relationship they have and the reliance they have on each other. Yeah, this is a this is also it's a very it's a very tone setting kind of episode. It's it happens mm. fairly early on, and it gives you it also puts you it gives you a sense of who Data is because I think it's like oh he's the he's the funny he's the talking robot that doesn't have human emotions, but it's like no he's so much more than that, and he. Like, this is where you find out how sophisticated his positronic brain really is. I mean, we learned very, very early on that he's fully functional. So I feel yep. like that should already it's like it's like, can we put that in the column of he is a person? Right, exactly. And and it, it debates, you know, if you have a beating heart, does that make you human? And Picard really posits no. And I think it's a discussion that um, is a bit echoing in that we still are having discussions to this day as the role of artificial intelligence grows, how much humanity is really imbued in it and should be imbued in it. So not only was it prophetic, but it also sets up this character's relationship really nicely that clearly is lingering in some way, shape, or form. Whether this means Data is outright returning or appearing in a dream, Picard obviously has a lot of fondness for him, android or not, and I feel like this is one of the most pivotal moments between them when Picard essentially has to defend Data's entire existence. Yeah, and I, I mean, we, we need to acknowledge that it's not like Data Data that we're going to be dealing with in this in this series, because 
that data died, right? Right. Yeah. And though, I mean, again, we could certainly get into it, but I think, you know, the, the, the one of the teasers, which shows him like painting in a cornfield might be dream data, but from the, uh, the various parts we saw in a drawer, my bet is that we're going to see in physical form what's known as B4, which is a very data looking android that was found on a planet as a trap, uh, during Star Trek Nemesis. Yeah, although the less, I guess, that we say about Star Trek Nemesis, the better. Yeah, listen, I'm happy it's not lore. Uh, I've always been concerned since that episode, since lore's quote-unquote final episode, when Data's like, I'm going to go into this other room and decommission him, and the camera won't follow me. I always had a worry that, like, lore got one over on him and just came back and took Data's place, but uh, I guess there's no chance of him coming back, which is nice. Yeah, I'm sure that launched a thousand fanfics, Mike. Oh, God, I hope not. I, I do not like lore. No, Lore's the worst. Um, there's the episode where Lore takes over the Borg ship and is like, "Hey, I'm I'm your I'm your leader now." And of course, that we'll have to talk about that in the sense of like all of the other Borg characters that we're going to be seeing. But before we get there, I want to go to um, there's two more Picard the character episodes that I want to make sure we touch on. Mm-hmm. Um, two that I think are pretty legendary in the Star Trek universe. Um, I think. We really have to talk about the inner light, which is one of these episodes mm. you could kind of lift it out of the canon and it doesn't really you don't ever see any after effects of this, which I think is really weird. And they did the exact same episode in Deep Space Nine with O'Brien many years later. Yeah, where, it was uh, the pale moonlight, right? No, this was oh, uh, no. I think it was called Hard Time. Where, oh, yes, yes, yes. Where O'Brien has to go to this prison colony and they implant 30 years worth of memories into his head. And kind of the same thing happens to Picard here. It's a little bit less dark where he lives this whole other life, like wakes up some one morning and he is somebody else. And he's married to a woman. And they believe he's this other man and he lives on this planet. And at the end of the episode, it turns out that he has been implanted with these memories as a way of remembering these people that are no longer here it's very affecting and one of i think patrick stewart's most wonderful performances as picard is this kind of confusion into acceptance into embracing this other character into finding it's all gone and coping with the grief of that i think it's a really it's i i think you don't even have to be a star trek person to enjoy this episode and not only that, I mean, I can imagine from an acting perspective how hard it is to play someone older without just putting makeup on. There is that infamous episode in season two where everyone has the old disease, including <laughs> Dr. Pulaski, the short-lived Dr. Pulaski. But Patrick Stewart, what he has to go through 30 years as Picard, who's actually this other guy, and what he's able to do is extremely staggering. The one thing he does pick up, Jess, the one thing that does linger is his predilection to play the flute. I think that yep. continues throughout <laughs> John Luke Picard, so maybe he'll play a little ditty in Star Trek Picard as well. I don't know, Mike. Once you once you know that those are not Patrick Stewart's hands playing the flute, <laughs> you cannot unsee it. Yeah, I, I learned that fact as well in the rewatching that I did. And it is, I love this episode so much, but it ends on such a weird note when you realize that it's someone else's pl- hands playing that flute. It's, it's like someone sitting under the table, like just yeah. visualize what happens if the camera pulls back. Like, what does that look like? Yeah, it's like in Sesame Street when they used to do like the dogs and the trench coats and people would stick their hands through. Like essentially someone's doing that with Picard right now. Yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it really, it really takes you out of it. So that is, that is one. And I also want to talk about uh, the episode called Who Watches the Watchers, mm. um, in which 
he is um worshipped as a god by by a pre-warp society and basically like tramples all over the prime directive yes uh i remember this one because this is a yeah, season three episode four so it's definitely an earlier one but i again if we're going back to this idea of violating the prime directive this is one where uh you know these people believe i believe he like blows apart like he re- uncovers like a secret observation post or something and they believe that he is their god and he essentially has to weigh between like okay do i frankly tell them that they're wrong or do i essentially continue the fact that these people believe in me just because i happen to appear at this time yeah, it's it's a very interesting um it's an interesting meditation on like is it okay to violate the prime directive and when how do you undo all that damage you've done and like once the genie is out of the bottle how do you fix that? It also has some very ugly uh undercover work from Riker and Troy. I'm looking at the picture on Memory Alpha right now. And they're not it's not the uh, like the episode when uh when Troy gets made over into a Romulan to help solve their their little squabbles on the ship, but yeah, they they do not they're not lookers this group of people. Uh I guess they're more devoted to their religion than their grooming. Yeah, they're well they're they're like Vulcans except instead of logic, they have cargo cults. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look, every you know, everyone pick your pleasure, pick your horgon if you will. I guess so. All right. So those are kind of like everything that I wanted to touch on before we really start talking about what's going to be. I think the meat of the first season of this Picard series is Picard interacting with the Borg yet again. Mm. So I think if you have another Picard character episode you want to touch on, we can do that or we can just go straight into the Borg. Yeah. So let's I mean, I the one, only one other one I wanted to talk about was family which is oh, a di- yeah. which is a direct follow up from it. So I guess we'll put a pause on the Borg right now because I think if you want to sense a Picard the person, you can tell a lot about a person based on their family, you know, between the people that they want to be with and the people that they're sort of forced to be with. And you know, we see Picard on a vineyard in Star Trek Picard. I do not know if this is Picard family vineyard, but we get a sense of history with Picard and vineyards in the episode Family, which is season four, episode two, right after the best of both worlds, which we'll definitely get into next. But essentially, it's sort of like, all right, we just had a big, ugly thing happen. Everyone take a break. And, you know, we get to see uh, Worf's adopted parents for the first time. And Picard decides to go down to Earth to visit his brother and his sister-in-law and his little nephew. And there's a lot of, you know, a big schism between him and his brother. His brother has inherited the family vineyards and has decided to swear off any technology. They're raising themselves very rurally, and it's clear that his brother Robert just completely disregards the life that Picard has led to the point where when his son is interested in stuff, he definitely wants to spurn him in that regard. It culminates in this big mud fight that then turns completely manic as Picard finally breaks down and reconciles with what was done to him, which again, we'll get into very shortly. But again, if you want to look at Picard the person and specifically his familial relationships, take a look at family. It's going to be very interesting because in Star Trek Generations, I believe both Robert and his son are dead. I'm not sure what the status of Robert's widow is and maybe how Picard deals with that, but it seems like he's alone uh, in the vineyard. So maybe she ended up going by her own accord. She was a very talented cook, as I recall, so she's probably out there opening a restaurant somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Like, all right, well, now I don't need to work at this winery. Let me go, you know, to newfound future Paris and, like, actually start, you know, know, looking at replicators and holograms, all the stuff that I missed out on because of my husband. 
Yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah, it does. It does say on Memory Alpha that um, that Yvette Picard did survive, or um, what is her name? Marie. 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 Yes, yes, yes. yes. Like generic French name. Yes, Marie. Oh, okay. Yeah, Frenchy, Frenchy McFrencherton <laughs> with a British accent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's uh, they just sort of explained that away. Like, uh, yeah, French just sort of went the way of the dodo. And so everyone sort of became like inherently British in Europe. It's OK. Fair enough. Um, I, I never understood why they why they needed to explain that. But I guess they also needed to explain the Blumpy Klingons. So that's that's Star Trek for you. Um, yeah, well, I guess uh, let's I guess so we'll skip back a couple episodes, Jess, because obviously the feelings that Picard has in family are very reflective of his own involvement with the Borg. I guess we should even go back further, right, to season two, because people might not know who are the Borg. Yeah, the Borg, I think. Yeah, we get the first episode. I And I remember um, back in the day when I used to write articles for Previously.TV, I did a full rewatch of seasons two and three of Star Trek The Next Generation to write this feature they called Loglined, where I would just like write one a snarky one liner about uh, each of the about each of the episodes as like if I'm writing the log line for when you're seeing it listed in your TV listings. And I mm. think I actually wrote one of the first appearance of the Borg. My log line for that episode was just, oh shit, son, it's the Borg. <laughs> I mean, yeah, who knew? Obviously, in like the, the first couple seasons of Star Trek, they're introducing everything, every single episode. I believe actually the original big bad for TNG was going to be the Ferengi. And they realized that they are more so jokey characters that are not meant to be taken that seriously, as we'll see in Deep Space Nine. And so in their place came the Borg, who are much, much scarier. Yeah, and the Borg are, um, I guess, Borg 101. Anybody that has not followed the Star Trek canon, I think they they were hard to escape, especially after their first appearance. They were just kind of never left center stage because they were just that scary. Um, the Borg were and they were a collective hive mind species that were part human, part machine, and they would go around just meeting other civilizations and then assimilating them into their collective and taking their knowledge and using it to further themselves as a species. And they shun all concept of self and they are all connected to like a Borg queen, which you kind of, you learn more about the Borg queen in Star Trek first contact. Mm -hmm. um, but at the point where we meet the Borg, it's just like they are scary and unstoppable and made of machines and they travel around in big cubes and once they get you, once you get got, you are you are part of the Borg and you're never coming back from that until they bring in one Jean-Luc Picard in the episode, the two part episode, The Best of Both Worlds. And Mike, the thing that blows my mind about these two part next gen episodes, for the most part, they were broadcast as season finale and season premiere. Yeah. And can you imagine watching the first half of Best of Both Worlds, and then having to wait like six months to find out what happened. Like that that shocks me to my core because when I watched it, I just like went straight to the next one. But you get the last the last shot of Best of Both Worlds Part One is Picard being assimilated. And up to this point, it's like you know 
there's no coming back from that. And now he's one of the Borg. And what are you going to do now? Yeah, to the point where the last scene that happens in Best of Both Worlds Part 1 is Riker's manning the Enterprise. They focus on the Borg, and Riker says, Mr. Worf, fire. And it's this... Arguably, I mean, it's, it's the first time they had done that, and it makes sense why they would do it time and time again, even if it's not as effective as something like Time's Arrow or Descent of, you know, having sort of one to close out the season and one to begin the next season, where you're like, oh my god, he's going to kill Picard, or uh, does he evade him? Uh, and I believe that was actually written that way because they weren't sure what they were going to do. You know, I, I don't know at this point if they felt like Patrick Stewart wanted to stick around, so I think they opened up the possibility of them killing Picard as part of the Borg and then having Riker continue as the captain of the Enterprise and then there would be no Star Trek Picard but alas in Best of Both the Worlds Part 2 they take a shot ends up being ineffective but after some fantastic maneuvering from Riker uh, they're able to essentially get their way back into the cube take Picard back and essentially like unbrainwash him you know Beverly does a great job sort of converting him back into his more humanistic form though again it's very clear from the events of family that you know this is a connection that's not entirely severed as we're going to see throughout a couple of different episodes and as you mentioned a good amount of the Star Trek movies too yeah, it's true. This is, I think, you have to, you have to think of Picard almost in terms of pre-assimilation and post-assimilation, because I don't think there's any one single event that affects him more heavily than this does. Yeah, pre-Lacutus and post-Lacutus. Yes, pre-Lacutus and post-Lacutus. And he, he is a very different person when he comes back from that. And I always appreciated, this is something Star Trek, I think, doesn't always do most effectively. Um, they don't let their characters evolve as much as they would from being confronted by all manner of weird things that they they are confronted by in the course of any average episode. Um, nobody really gets that level of PTSD, which I think is what Picard is suffering from at the point where he goes yeah. to back to his family, to his vineyard, and he never quite fully comes back from that. And he's always, when the Borg comes back, you can see this in him, like he tenses up and he is more um like he understands them because he was part of them but it was also like invasive and awful and he relives a lot of that whenever it comes back and it does come back fairly often throughout the rest of the series yeah and i think it's also an interesting relationship between picard and the rest of the enterprise crew as well where not only was he knocked onto his feet but for a while he was their enemy the reason why the Borg abducted Picard in particular was because they essentially used his Federation knowledge combined with the Borg assimilation to attack Wolf 359, which leads very heavily. I mean, that's the first scene of Deep Space Nine, right? It essentially forms mm -hmm. who Benjamin Sisko is and his disdain for Jean-Luc Picard. So Picard has a lot of guilt behind what he may have unintentionally done, but still it was done at his hand. But it's also one of the first moments where he is really you know in a subjugated position and the rest of the crew is able to assemble and take him back and that i'm assuming showed a lot in his heart where you know back on the stargazer he did some pretty fun crap but i don't think his crew <laughs> would have done anything on the level of that and i think that's a big step in the ultimate final scene of the series which is picard after seven years finally agreeing to play in the crew's poker game that was one of those moments where he realized like this is not just a crew this is a, a ragtag family this is a group that's able to mobilize and protect one of their own and you know i can rely on them for so much more 
Yeah, they'll go to that length rather than just blowing him up. They'll go to those lengths to bring him back and to get him back into the position that he needs to be in. I think that says something about the crew and that they'll all go to those lengths for each other. Yeah, exactly. So, like you said, the the Borg are going to disappear temporarily. You know, they try to attack Earth, but the Enterprise is basically able to single-handedly fend them off while all these other ships go down. But they're going to make an appearance, most memorably uh, bringing in a character, which I was a bit surprised to see, Jess. It had been rumored, but the character of Hugh is going to make a return here uh, from the episode I, Borg, really predating the Will Smith hit movie I, robot by a good number of years well but not predating the isaac asimov novel on which that film is based very true very true so i guess they're nestled in the middle there yeah i think this is absolutely a meditation on that um but yeah when when you think about it it makes logical sense if you're the kind of person that picks nits in the star trek universe and you're thinking about what you know about the card series and that the borg are coming back and that there will be a lot of this needing to rely on Picard's experience as having been one of the Borg and that Seven of Nine is in there. Somebody out there is saying, well, yeah, but what about Hugh? Because Hugh is kind of, he almost broke the Borg. Mm. Um, Hugh was a Borg drone that was injured and captured by the Enterprise. And as he got to know the crew of the Enterprise, I think particularly Geordi, he didn't want to go back to being a Borg. He started to develop his own identity and to be his own person. And when they put him back in there, he kind of destroyed the collective that he was in. Right. So, yeah, they pick up this Borg. Uh, I think his initial name was like Three of Seven or something, but they come up with the name Hugh purely because Jordy, Master of Creativity, thought, oh, you kind of sounds like Hugh. I think we should call you that. Uh, so he does gain a sense of individuality. I think he starts to realize, he comes to the realization that humans do not want to be assimilated, which apparently the Borg mandate was, no, 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 assimilate the humans. They want to be assimilated. And when Hugh finds out that that's not the case, his mind basically breaks at that point uh the enterprise crew sort of concocts a scheme to essentially send hugh back as a suicide bomber they're going to put a virus in him and have him infect the rest of the borg and have them destroyed from within but you know convinced by geordie and convinced by guinan surprisingly of all people who had her home world and all her loved ones destroyed by the borg picard has a change of heart acknowledges hugh's individuality and they drop him back off but it turns out that actually what they did actually might have been more deadly than a virus because Hugh's able to spread because he's not connected to the collective. And he says, I, instead of we, he's able to spread his word of individuality to the Borg so much that they completely fall apart. And like you said, that's how Laura is able to sweep in and take uh, control of them so easily. Yeah, and that that's uh, that's almost yeah, I think it's probably more effective than if they had just given him the virus. Yeah, because at least, like, they could get their Norton antivirus software up and, like, come back again better and stronger than ever. But if their own Borg are revolting against them, then there's really no coming back from that except assimilation. But how can you assimilate if your own Borg do not want to assimilate? And I think that leaves the Borg in a very 
interesting place as well. I believe Picard itself, the series, is going to be dealing with, I think, some Romulan experimentation with Borg technology, because it does seem like after the descent of it all, from a TNG perspective, the Borg are sort of like, that's a wrap on them. They're no longer the big bads that we thought they were. You bring in the Borg Queen a bit during a first contact, then that sort of ends up dying out. But then... We get seven of nine in Voyager. We get a Borg crew member. Yeah, and I think we have to touch on a little bit. I think there probably are more people who watched TNG and not necessarily all of Voyager that than there are people that are just coming in with Picard being their first Star Trek experience. So I think it does behoove us to talk a little bit about who seven of nine is. And the premise of Voyager was that Voyager was a ship that got sucked into the wrong end of the Delta Quadrant, um, tens of thousands of light years away from the Federation. And it's all about their quest to get back from being lost in deep space and to find their way home. And along the way, they run into the Borg and they encounter a former Earth human who has been assimilated by the Borg. And through a series of events, she becomes part of their crew. And a lot of her arc kind of parallels Data's to some extent as she's mm. kind of discovering her humanity and learning how to function as a human rather than a member of a collective. And it's some of it is a retread and some of it is very, very different. Um, and also arguably one of the better looking Star Trek characters in throughout the canon. Right, and I, I'm trying to remember, wasn't there an episode, because I am not well-versed in Voyager whatsoever, but wasn't there an episode where, like, something allowed uh, the personalities of all the people she assimilated to come out? Because she has assimilated so many species as part of the Borg, and so there's, like, a Klingon and a Romulan and a human that all sort of represent her and make her sort of look at her previous demons as to... It's sort of like a, a different type of scale of the locutus of it all, where Seven of Nine, yes, Wolf 359 was a huge tragedy, but, you know, Seven of Nine has been doing this for probably a good number of years. I think she was uh, assimilated when she was like six years old. So considering how many scalps she has, I can only imagine what she starts feeling once she realizes the weight of her actions. Yeah, it's certainly I don't think it's something that Voyager touched on as much as they could have. But it is something that does come up, um, especially when you think about like how awful the Borg really are. Uh, but I think canonically, Seven of Nine and Hugh became friends after the events of Voyager concluded and they ended up being colleagues and working as diplomats and working with the Borg and with the Federation to kind of broker some peace. And I think that's what that's how we bring them both into the Picard universe, because we are going to be doing some negotiating with the Borg and having to deal with them again. And there are three individuals in the in the Star Trek universe who know what it's like to be a Borg and know what it's like to be a human out in the world again. And to have those three individuals back together on the show makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad that the show is acknowledging this rich past of Borgness rather than having Picard deal with it all on his own and pretending there aren't any other former Borg out there. 
Right, there are like resources to depend on, right? And this is like a nice little thing where they brought in a huge number of new characters, which again, we'll get into in a couple of weeks to, I think, really put everyone in the same relative ship when it comes to, okay, here's a new group of characters. But there are a couple little winks and nods and bringing in others uh, to really acknowledge the history of Picard or just the Borg in general to the point where, as I mentioned before, it definitely seems like we're getting cameos from at least Brent Spiner as Data, Marina Sirtis as Deanna Troy, and Jonathan Frakes as Riker. I believe Frakes has also directing at least a couple of episodes of Picard as well. I don't know what their involvement is going to be, whether it's a, just a cameo like, hey, isn't it fun that they're you know talking right now, or whether it's going to be in a larger capacity, but it does seem we're going to have some people brought in in Picard's life. I don't know if that means we're going to get, like, Dixon Hill material, but I, I appreciate... God, no. I, who knows? Maybe Picard has time. Maybe he has a holodeck in the, uh, in the winery, and that allows him to sort of dive into his own detective fantasies. You know, as fun as those episodes could be, I think the one thing we have to give credit to the current the current way that episodes are disseminated um, in with regard to Star Trek series is dropping them once a week for 10 weeks at a time and then coming back later on really doesn't give you a lot of room to have a holodeck episode. Yeah, I was going to say only 10 episodes compared to what the 26 that a TNG season usually was. I mean, it's it's incomparable. Yeah. And also the way that even if they are dropping them once a week, the way that most people consume this kind of thing is they discover it later and they binge it and they catch up. And you really some of these Star Trek seasons are a difficult binge because there is so much filler and there are so many kind of meandering side plots. And, oh, now we're all in the 20s and we're gangsters. And, oh, look at that. Why are they so obsessed with the 20th century and their holodecks? Like, didn't anything interesting happen after that? Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, let's talk about a baseball player for the umpteen time. But I guess that begs the question, though, I guess as we're segueing to Picard the show proper. So do you think then that the structure is going to be less... TNG episode of the week and more so relying again on that Discovery DS9 model of a continuing story over 10 episodes? Well, I think that's just how stories are told now. I mm. don't think we have a series that has like a monster of the week in quite the same way. I mean, I'm sure they're out there, but it's not how television on this intellectual level is is disseminated anymore. It's not how the stories are told. I think everything is relies on some kind of plot arc. Uh, and I think I think we certainly I think DS9 and Voyager were really kind of pioneers in that regard, especially DS9, the way that mm. that unfolds. And I mean, they still had their fair share of holodeck episodes and uh, monster of the week episodes. And like, let's dive into this character that we're never going to see again episodes. But they really by the end of season three of DS9, you had your kind of your pieces were set for here's the mystery we're going to unlock over the rest of the series. And here is the, here are the bad guys we're going to fight. And I think that's just, that's just what TV is now. Like that is at least over the course of a season and usually over the course of multiple seasons. So I think that's what we're going to see in Picard. We're going to see one story being told over 10 weeks, as opposed to like nine or 10 stories being told 
over the course of 10 weeks. Yeah, I mean, to the point where we looked at season two of Discovery and the first couple episodes were like, oh, yeah, they're going to this random planet. Oh, they're visiting Kaminar. This is interesting. And then it turned out by the end of the season that it all actually ended up tying together in some ways. Now that every single element from those episodes that we thought were just strays ended up tying into the larger plot. And I think, you know, I read something where I think Michael Chabon, who has been brought on as sort of like the the official showrunner, I think Alex Kurtzman said at one point there wasn't an official one, but Chabon was announced later that this is not going to be I think people who are looking for a sequel series to TNG Picard is not going to be that because I feel like they want to do some other stuff with this character even if they are bringing in other characters from his past and that makes it exciting to me because I think one of the biggest downsides of reboot culture is like if you just are doing the same thing again where just people are more old and tired then it doesn't exactly create new ideas and stories and I think the way they're approaching it at least at the outset seems very good you know Stewart has been in there from the beginning to the point where he's been in the writer's room really I think he could essentially sort of be the person to refer to of like do you think Picard would do this or would Picard do that I think that's fantastic to have his involvement considering he made the character happen I'm, I'm very excited you know we did a a lot of stuff over this podcast really delving into the past. And I'm, I'm glad that they can hopefully acknowledge that past as well. But I'm also excited to see brand new futures for this character. Yeah, it, it's it's a huge step forward. And I think I'm, I'm going to be really excited to see what direction this goes in. And I, it also sounds for the sounds of things like even if you weren't a hardcore next generation Trekkie, I think there's going to be something for everyone in this series. And I think I don't know if it's the ideal entry point, but I think you could come in and certainly follow along and feel like it's something new and fresh and not just a continuation of characters that you may or may not have cared about in 1991. Exactly. And so to give a heads up to you all out there as to how I think we're going to try to proceed uh, in the future, at least in the next couple of weeks with this Picard coverage. So next week, we're actually going to take a bit of a break from Picard because I don't know if you know this, Jess, but in the past three months, uh, we have six Short Treks episodes to talk about. There's six? Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. So there were, uh, the first one premiered on October 5th. Then we had one in November. We had or we had two in October, one in November, two in December and one coming up on January 9th at the time we are recording this. So, yeah, Jess and I are going to get together at some point uh, next week to talk about those six episodes, because I think they're all interesting in their own way. We have the return of a couple of, you know, uh, fan acclaimed uh, Anson Mount as Captain Pike is coming back. We have some Spock and Number One stuff. We have the return of Tribbles. We have a couple of really interesting animated shorts as well. They really just ran with what they were given in Season 1 of Short Trek. So we'll be able to talk a bit more as at 2020 in Star Trek is going to be so interesting in a myriad of ways. And I feel like these Short Treks resembles that nicely. And then the week after, as I talked about, we will uh, give a little bit of like our own preview as to what we're looking forward to to with Picard the series before we get into recaps proper. We have a lot to look forward to. And with regard to these short treks, I I honestly think I would not put it past them to sneak in some relevant Picard information into these short treks. Because remember, we leading up to Discovery we thought, oh, these short treks are going to be just sort of little vignettes that don't necessarily tie in. And then they all turned out to tie in big time. So if we have some some Picard Easter eggs in these short treks, even though they are 
ostensibly connected to the Discovery universe, I'm not going to be at all surprised. Yeah, and it could be connected to Discovery Season 3. It could be connected to Lower Decks, which is the big Mike McMahon animated series that's coming later this year as well. It could be connected to other short tracks. Hell, it could be connected to a future announcement of like an Enterprise reboot series with Pike and Spock and Number One. But there's going to be a lot of fun stuff to talk about next week. I, I'm just so excited to be talking Trek with you again, Jess. It's been, what, since like May 2018 that we haven't really doted on any Star Trek news. And now we have so, so much to talk about over 2020. It's it's really exciting. And I, I can't wait to go through all of it. Although I think I might actually be the number one and you might be the, the captain here. No, but. I'm abdicating control to you. You have the bridge, Jess. Oh, I have the bridge. Okay, well. Fair enough, Mike. Um, if you want to follow along with all of the things that Mike is doing in the social media world, you can follow him on Twitter at, at Mike Bloom type and tell us about what you're doing for The Hollywood Reporter. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I'm I'm working on some stuff, possibly for either The Hollywood Reporter or Parade when it comes to Picard. More of that will come to light, I think, as the weeks are progressing. But as I mentioned before, if you want to uh, check out my ranking or I guess uh, my list of uh, 25 I believe it's 25, Star Trek The Next Generation episodes. You can look at that on THR.com. Also on Post Show Recaps, Josh Wiggler and I are, of course, going down the hatch with our weekly episodic loss rewatch podcast. Uh, at the time you're listening to this, I believe, either coming up or shortly before this was released, our podcast on The Greater Good, uh, the third to last episode of Season 1, just got released. Very interesting podcast. Lots of discourse between Josh and myself, so be sure to check all that out and i'm usually chilling out all the other random stuff i'm doing at a mike bloom type on twitter yeah and you certainly you are the hardest working man in podcasting or at least the second work hardest working yeah, i'll take um, the i'll take the silver to that i'll take the, the dilithium to that fair enough all right and i'm not doing nearly as much as mike is uh but you can follow some of the television features that i've been writing over at primetimer.com uh i don't have anything in the hopper as of yet but over the holidays i wrote two articles one breaking down five of my favorite riffs on a christmas carol across sitcoms and beyond and then we did one on my five favorite riffs on it's a wonderful life and that was a lot of fun to get to research some kind of obscure corners of 80s television that i haven't been to in a very long time and i'll have a lot coming up in 2020, I'm sure um, I'll be writing a little bit about quiz shows, sitcoms, sci-fi, dramas, anything that strikes my fancy, I guess. It's kind of a sweet gig. So that's all that I'm doing apart from these podcasts here with you, Mike. Um, I'm sure that will change in the spring. But you can also follow me on Twitter at Haymaker Hattie. And I want to thank Mike once again for doing all of this with me because your encyclopedic knowledge and your fresh memory is definitely going to serve us well as we move into Picard. Yeah, I'm happy to assimilate myself into my podcast equipment once again, Jess. It's a it's a fun habit, and I can't wait, especially with how canonically this series is going to be tied into it. I think we're in store for a lot of fun stuff. But first, some short treks, which, as you said, might have their own canonical consequences. I can't wait to analyze the heck out of those things, Mike. Yeah, so these nice, nice little 10-minute nuggets. Oh, oh, they're delicious little nuggets, um, just bursting with cannon. Um, so thank you again, Mike, for joining me on this. And uh, thanks to all the listeners and everybody who works so hard behind the scenes to get this podcast into your ears. And we will be back very soon and very shortly with the short treks. So thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>